0: So, hi, everybody. If you are listening to this on Christmas morning or shortly thereafter, we'd like to wish you and your family a wonderful holiday, however, you're celebrating. We are sharing this episode about family silliness and joy. And truly, there's really not much more that I would emphasize for you during this time than to prioritize joy and fun and playfulness and silliness. Hi, I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm a psychotherapist and anxiety expert and author, and I'm here with my sister-in-law and producer Robin for another episode of Fluster Clucks. Hi, Robin. Hi, Lynn.
1: Lynn, as I've really learned from you the power of silliness and laughter, even for some of the listeners whose families might not easily find that joy vibe.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Silliness
1: and laughter can really be a good pathway to that.
0: Yeah. And I think sometimes the word joy feels a little big, right? Like I'm supposed to feel joy. Joy has pressure. Joy does have pressure. Yeah. I'm going to be joyful. People are like, really? Joyful? If we can break it down and if you can think about it in moments so you don't have to have a joyful day. Like sometimes I see a card and it says, have a joyful holiday season. And I think to myself, that is a really high bar. Right. We always say 10 minute
1: increments of joy should be the goal for any parent.
0: Yeah. And if you can pull off two, then good for you. A good belly laugh, a good silliness, even just little doses of it are really going to help change you're inside and your outside, and it's going to set the emotional tone for your family. So I hope that you all enjoy this recast of a
1: very popular episode on the power of family silliness and laughter and Merry Christmas.
0: Merry Christmas and have some laughs and be silly. Some of you might be sitting here thinking and saying, gosh, I'm so serious, or how do you do that? Or we take life seriously in my family. Some of you may have been brought up in families where you cannot remember your parents joking or laughing. And I also want to talk about the difference between fun and silliness in playing and teasing, because there's a fine line there. And so I want to make sure I make that distinction as well. So why am I talking about this? Why... Why am I saying it's so important for us to think about play and fun and silliness? The reason I'm talking about it is because I always want to do the opposite of what these disorders demand. So when I talk about anxiety, anxiety wants things to be taken seriously, of course, right? It's got that catastrophic flair to it. It, it demands that we, that we go into that emergent, urgent state. It wants us to look at the worst case scenario. It wants us to focus on safety above all else. And depression, of course, one of the main symptoms of depression is called anhedonia, where you actually lose the ability to enjoy things that were previously enjoyable. So when we're talking about mental health, being playful and silly and laughing is a way to connect. And it really is doing the opposite of what these mental health issues demand from us. We always want to figure out how to, how to offer, the, offer the opposite, offer the balance to it. The other reason I want to talk about it is because as parents, we can get pretty internally focused and we can lose track of our playfulness, particularly when we're dealing with all the responsibilities of life and we've got our jobs and it's so exhausting. And now many of you are trying to be in charge of your kids' remote learning at the same time that you're trying to figure out your own jobs. And so I really want to, I really want to talk about this because I want you to get back in touch with your playfulness. You being able to participate with your kids in fun and playfulness and silliness and even in your relationship too is so, so important to your own mental health because man, life can feel pretty serious right now. There's a lot of big stuff going on.
1: You talked about this in one of our first episodes and it was a very powerful message to learn and remember that when children see us being playful, Mm -hmm. it's telling them that they are safe that the world is okay, especially in the first few months when things were still harder to adapt to. And frankly, things in the next few months could get there as mm-hmm. well, is that when I find that I might be talking out loud about any of the world events, I, I would just stop and that I would just dance out of the room mm-hmm. and dance back in or something just like as simple as interrupting mm-hmm. what I was expressing and modeling in terms of worry about our uncertain future yeah. and just shifting the Energy.
0: You know, one of the things we know with depression in families is that, and it's with anxiety too, both with anxiety and depression, is that when parents are depressed, And when parents are anxious, they're showing their kids how to react to things. And of course, it's not on purpose. But if you're sitting there watching your parent look depressed and feel depressed and talk depressed, or it could be rage, it could be anything, they're taking their cues from us. There's such a primitive thing that goes on in terms of the way that we read facial expressions. I was just listening to this amazing podcast on bias, and the woman was talking about the little part of our faces right between our eyebrows. I call that my listening face. So when you're sort of scrunching up your eyebrows and you make those lines in between your eyebrows. When babies see adults do that, because that's an anger face, they recoil. Their faces get big, their eyes get wide. They're reading us. they're in it, it, it's it's just part of our human connection. So when they see you laughing, when they see you being silly, when they see you when they see you enjoying something, they're reading that too. That's fascinating. Learning about resting bitch face was so helpful to me because I would be as I'm speaking when I used to speak in front of people, I look out into the audience and there would be somebody with this really serious face on like, I would just sort of focus in, I could always find that face in the audience. And then in my head, I'd be sort of like, oh, they're not, they're not enjoying this, or they're not laughing at my jokes. And then afterwards, the person would come up to me and be like, that was the funniest talk I ever heard. And there's so much that we read into those expressions. But it is, it is true when you're sitting there, think of, think of little kids, right? They don't understand that we're looking at our laptop, and we're, you know, engaged in something, or we're trying to figure out what to Say in this email, they're just seeing these primitive expressions on our face, which are very telling. We are designed to read expressions. There's this guy named Paul Ekman, E-C-K-M-A-N, who does this really cool stuff with micro expressions. And that's all sort of the sciencey stuff about why you need to be silly and have fun with your kids. It's real. Like, I'm not just saying like, hey, have more fun. It really does help with the emotional connection between you and your kids. So I'll never forget
1: this. I was cooking dinner. When you have a child who is two or three, I just remember having a shift because they have a lot of playful energy. And we're often trying to shut it down Mm. because we have other things we need to be doing or we don't participate. Frankly, they're in a much better energetic place than we Mm -hmm. are, right? We should be taking our cues from Mm -hmm. them. So my daughter comes up to me and I'm in the middle of pulling stuff out of the oven. And she's like, mommy, let's dance. And I remember in that moment, getting ready to say to her, sorry, honey, I'm cooking dinner maybe later, Mm -hmm. right? Just like that reactive thing. And instead, I remember like a newfound skill and I said, great, let's dance. Mm -hmm. I put the pan down and we just danced Mm -hmm. in the kitchen to some song that enabled me to continue practicing that aspect of engaging in play when I was absolutely not trained to, you know? Maybe other parents can relate to that. I could imagine maybe you didn't have to learn that You have kind of more of a silliness culture about you and your boys that I didn't have modeled for me.
0: Yeah, we're definitely very silly in our house, for sure. And that's such a wonderful story, right? Because you just it all sudden in that moment, you just took what you were learning in your mindfulness classes and you just you just put it into place and you got an immediate reward from it. Right. Like immediately that felt like the right thing for you to do and then you were just going to you were just going to do it again and again and again yeah i think that one of the things i have paid attention to and when my kids were little too I'm an observer, I think, that's part of me being in my job, is that I would pay attention to parents who seemed to be able to be silly and playful. And I also paid attention to parents who seemed to not be able to do that. And I certainly beat myself up plenty for not parenting. I think I've told the story of, of, of sort of, you know, my friend who had like her melon cut up in nice cubes and I had like a bag of bread that somebody thought I was going to feed the ducks with and it was really the snack that I brought to the park because we only had bread. And so I did... Plenty Plenty of sort of beating myself up for not doing it right. But I think I was pretty consciously aware of how wonderful, wonderfully messy that childhood could be. I've heard so many stories and talk to so many parents about not letting your kids make Play-Doh or not letting your kids cook or not letting your kids do finger painting or not letting your kids take out your makeup and put makeup on your face or their face because they're worried about the mess. And I think that the line that I have a lot of times to parents is that you're going to have a mess now that's easier to clean up. If you don't let your children play and experience you as playful, there are going to be some bigger messes later on that are going to be a far more intractable than lipstick everywhere. And I think that's kind of sometimes we have to remind ourselves of what kind of messes do we want? The messes of stuff, the messes of Legos, the messes of lipstick. My son got into my lipstick and painted his entire face Red with lipstick. I mean, I I was in admiration of his thoroughness. It was inside his ears. It was up it was like around like uh, you know, like the nostril part, like the connecting part in your nostril. He did not miss a speck of his little face with the red lipstick. And it was it was so hard to get off him. It took three weeks before we could get it all off him. And then another time I was gone somewhere. And my husband and my two boys went into the basement. So I don't think you've seen this, Robin. They went into the basement. They opened all the cans of unused paint that everybody has in their basement. They took paintbrushes and they just painted all of the walls in the basement by like Jackson Pollock style. Like the walls. I mean, even my washer and dryer had paint on it. It was insane. I came home. They were covered in paint. And talk about joy. They had had the most joyful two hours that you could imagine like a seven and a nine year old having. And the grown up was pretty pleased with himself too. And again, like not all playfulness has to be messy. I'm just giving these examples of, and the way I differentiate between the messiness of life when they're little and not getting so caught up in the fact that your house is a mess or your kids are a mess or their hair is a mess because the, the later on messes are so much harder to deal with those big, scary messes. And I really think the little messes early on help you create a connection that helps helps you have some tools and some humor and some joy that even when you're going through those big messes, you can still pull on and still have them a part of your family culture. Hey, so the other day I had to change my car insurance. And guess what? I bought new car insurance and they sent me a check, right? So that you could buy something And get money back at the same time doesn't happen very often. And it's pretty darn fun. That's why you got to check out Ibotta. Ibotta is a free app that gives you the most cash back every time you shop. On hundreds of items, from groceries to beauty supplies to toys, you can make sure you're beating inflation no matter what you're purchasing. So the average Ibotta user earns $256 a year. That's actually more than I got back on my car insurance, I'll tell you. That could cover the cost of an entire shopping trip. Other apps give you points that don't amount to too much. With Ibotta, just add your offers in the app, upload your receipt, and you get real cash that you can cash out to your bank account, PayPal, or gift cards. So join the 50 million users, earn cash back, and... Every time you shop, over 2,700 brands, everybody, retailers, including Lowe's, Sephora, Best Buy. Right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5 just for trying Ibotta by using the code FLUSTER when you register. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app to start earning cash back and use the code FLUSTER. That's I B O. T-T-A, and use
1: the code FLUSTER. Do you think seeing a therapist or a psychiatrist would be helpful, but you don't have the time to actually find one? And then, like, when do you have time to meet with them? Try Talkspace. By doing everything online, Talkspace has made getting the help you want easy, accessible, and affordable. relationship issues, and much more. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster. To match with a licensed therapist today, Go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster to get $80 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com slash Fluster. I was raised by a mom who did not want mess. Mm -hmm. And even as she was a grandmother and she, you know, it's like, oh, I have this new sand toy for you. She literally lined a dining room with plastic (laughs) in order for that to happen. One little three-year-old girl (laughs) in a a 10 by 10 square of sand, you know. So, I mean, she was that way. Um, So I'm thinking of her. And then I'm thinking of you, two women I love so much as, as influences, but, but there is an extreme. And I do recall there was, and I don't know the specifics because it's been too long. It's not that there was one time you came home and your husband and two sons had made an extraordinary mess and it did bum you out. So it's not like you're like, Hey, great kids. I love this mess all the time. And that's not what you're
0: saying. We have to be right. Like
1: we don't have to be tolerant of complete
0: chaos. Admittedly, like when I saw the basement, I was like, oh my God, what did you guys do? It was just that there was no way. It was three against one. There was no way that I was going to put the paint back in the can, right? So I just right. had to go with it. I came home once from teaching something, and the the living room rug was out in the uh, front yard. So that's always a bad <laughs> sign. I Oh, gosh. One time, they emptied the entire... How heavy is a big bag of cat food? Like the 40-pound bag of cat food. That's what it was. Yeah. That's the story I remember. Yeah. That bummed you out. Yeah. They... And think of it, like you're you're five and three, and you need some material to use with your dump trucks and your excavators and stuff. Forty pounds of cat food is spectacular. Yeah, there's always that part where I step in and I go like, "Oh my God, And then I just have to pull it back a little bit. My friend has an amazing story where her boys, she has two boys also, they were upstairs and they were quiet. And that's always a bad sign. And so she went up. She was trying to get something done. She went upstairs. The two of them were filling up buckets of water, running down the hall and dumping them onto their mattresses and jumping up and down on the bed. And the water was going (laughs) everywhere because they had heard there's such thing as a water bed. So (laughs) And she said to them, this is the best line ever. She said to them, oh my God, what are you doing? And her son said, having the time of our lives. She had to drag the mattress out of the house and, you know, weighed 400 pounds. So she tells that story now and there was such a joy, right? So she was not thrilled that they had ruined the mattresses and that she had to drag it out of the house. But I guess when you look back on that, right, not all fun has to be a mess. Yeah, I like the non-mess fun myself. Yeah, we did this thing once. I don't know if you remember this, but we went up to my parents' house. There was some comment. I think my sister, she'll remember this. She made a comment about the fact that a few of us were wearing orange. But she said it in sort of a way like, oh, you guys really like orange or something like that. We scoured the house and we found every orange piece of clothing we could find, which included like hunting vests. And it was amazing. We actually happened to have a lot of orange and the four of us got dressed completely in orange clothes from head to toe. And when we went back up to my parents' house, we walked in, didn't say a word, just the four of us just walked in completely dressed in orange and just waited for people to notice. And, you know, I mean, it was funny when people saw us dressed in all orange, but the amount of time that we spent the four of us collecting orange things and creating our orange outfits, it was just so much fun. Like the parents who really get dressed up for Halloween, the parents who really go all out. I know a woman, she is a a blogger and I think she has a podcast
1: too. Her website is called Lola Lamb Chops, but she takes the Halloween costume tradition to a whole new level and and she's legendary. (laughs) She So every day in the month of October, she and her husband put on the most elaborate costumes to go wait at the bus stop. But if you were to see the photographs, we were friends on social media. So that's when I'd seen them. I said to her, I I want you to know that you're such an inspiration to me with that. And I think that she's like looking at me very puzzled because maybe she just grew up in a family where doing something like that was completely normal. Yeah, What you're modeling and what you're doing with the fun and the creativity, I think that's just one of the best things
0: you could be doing as a parent. So that's her skill. I would never be able to do that. And so it is thinking about how can you be playful in a way that really works for you too. There are probably some people that are thinking, oh my God, I cannot believe that she let her husband and her sons paint their basement Jackson Pilot style. And then there are other people who are saying, oh my gosh, I could never come up with a Halloween costume every day. And it really is finding that fun way of whether it's playing a game together or baking together or whatever your strength is, how do you take that and make it a really important part of being silly is just that those silly spontaneous moments of ridiculousness that you insert in. Because one of the ways that we delight our children is through the unexpected, the silly unexpected. So that's sort of the surprise of being playful. Like one of the best memories I have of my mom is she went to the apple orchard up the street when we were little and she came home with two kittens. I know that's pretty big, but like it was just so unexpected and so playful and so wonderful that she would just come home with two kittens. We had no idea she was bringing them home saying to your kids, we're having ice cream sundays for dinner tonight, or it's a Tuesday night, we're going to all watch a movie and have popcorn for dinner, or the small things really matter a lot too. It doesn't have to be this huge momentous thing if that feels overwhelming to you.
1: My husband and daughter and my son was an infant at the time, and my mom had just died. Mm-hmm. And we were in Woodstock, Vermont, I think it was the fall, and we were enjoying the foliage. And we saw a sign pointing to a simple building, and it said, family, community square dance. Mm. And as we walked by, we realized it was occurring in that mm-hmm. moment. And I said, hell yeah, <laughs> and, and, which is what I would have done before. Yeah. But here I was you know, a grieving new yeah. mom, totally sleep deprived. Yeah. So we go in to this room, everyone just dancing together. Yeah. It was such a beautiful picture. And a woman came up and even said, "You know, can I hold your baby while you go dance? Oh. And so we're like joining in this square dance, and I think that those types of moments that involved play and celebration are being open to yes, mm-hmm. and so being open to yes as you live your lives will enable these really incredible family memories that you didn't have to orchestrate. Right. It's about having that right
0: mindset in the moment. Yeah. That if there is an opportunity, take it. Yeah, I think that's so true, and we are quick to say no, aren't we? Because we've got this to do, we've got that to do. Those are. So- such memorable things like just think of the memories we're sharing that these moments of play and these moments of spontaneity they just stick with us don't they laughing and and stepping into something and feeling connected i grew up in a home that definitely
1: embraced a sense of humor mm-hmm. so it's not that we were serious but there was never any silliness mm-hmm. So it was like everyone was having a chat and people would laugh if something witty happened, but nobody
0: was, (laughs) right. Like everyone was chuckling. Have you ever watched James Corden? He does these interviews where he has his two parents sort of assess something. And these two people, not surprisingly, they're his parents, are just laughing and just enjoying things. You think, okay, so here's where he got his ability to laugh. We cannot underestimate the importance of modeling joy and playfulness and silliness for our kids. Boy, we need it now more than ever. And even in times of great suffering, human beings are are good at bringing up moments of joy. It's so important for us to just embrace that and to just laugh and to just be connected in that silly way. I just want to make sure that we make a differentiation between being silly and joyful and teasing. And because that's a pattern that might be enjoyable to some people, but not enjoyable to the person who's being teased. Really make sure in, in terms of your laughter and your silliness and your playfulness that it's not at somebody else's expense because that's easy to fall into as well. It's easy sometimes for siblings to get into a pattern of teasing and it feels fun for a while and there's laughter, but just make sure that it's not at somebody else's expense. Some families I've talked to, they say, oh yeah, we have a great time laughing and because we're making fun of this or we're making fun of that, but not humor and playfulness at the expense of somebody else. We're probably not the only
1: people that feel this way, but that's why I detest funny video Mm. experiences that are often shared. Mm -hmm. And if you see a child who's suffering, Mm -hmm. but in some way presented as something funny
0: and you're laughing while they're suffering, that's not good. I know. And it's so easy. Like it, it reminds me, I mean, I love Jimmy Kimmel, but that whole thing where they tell little kids that the parents have eaten all their Halloween candy. And there's just this moment of the child just being so distraught and then everybody's laughing at that. Ha, 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 look at that four-year-old is so upset. I never enjoyed that. I thought that's so mean. You know, it's easy sometimes for humor to to venture into that meanness. America's Funniest Home Videos, I'm like, a lot of them are not so funny to me.
1: The young woman who got her wisdom teeth out and her brothers picked her up and convinced her there was a zombie <laughs> apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they were to drive to Mexico. <laughs> that, that I'm all for. But if we see a child who's suffering and we're we're finding it funny, I think there are costs to that. Yeah,
0: I agree. I am really working on improving my diet by making sure that I get the best quality products, organic foods, and I really want to make sure that I'm not using harsh chemicals in my home. Thrive Market is my go-to for all of my grocery and household essentials. The convenience of getting everything online and then quickly shipped to my doorstep. That is a huge time saver. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. I can use their filters to suit my lifestyle needs. So maybe you're looking for organic snacks for your kids, or maybe you're gluten-free. As a Thrive Market member, I save money on every single grocery order. You will too. On average, I save over 30% each time. They even have a deals page that changes daily, always has some of my favorite brands. When you join Thrive Market, you're also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. So, join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash flusterclux for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E com slash Fluster Clucks, thrivemarket.com slash Fluster This message is sponsored by Greenlight. So when you're a parent, you're going to have your fair share of big talks with your kids, right? About all sorts of big topics. One of those big talks should involve money. And Greenlight can help with that. Greenlight is a debit card and a money app that's made for families. It allows you to do instant money transfers. You can get real-time notifications of spending. You can manage chores. You can automate allowance. responsible financial choices. So stop putting off the money talk and start putting your kids on the right path. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash fluster. That's greenlight.com slash fluster to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash fluster.
1: As I think about my friends on the West Mm. Coast who are facing unprecedented restrictions with- Windows closed because of their air quality and they could have young Mm -hmm. kids under six and they're stuck and it looks like Mars outside Mm, their windows. I know. So- You have so many ideas of silliness in place. So what's one or two ways, even for those parents, to help break
0: themselves out of a pretty challenging moment and bring silliness in? Yeah, well, the first thing that pops into my head is water, soapy water, filling up the bathtub, getting some ivory dish soap or whatever, and just making lots of bubbles and playing in the water. Don't worry about the fact that your bathroom is going to get all wet. Put some towels down, letting them stand in the sink and. Pour water from one thing to another thing. That'll keep your kids entertained for e- forever. Let them take everything out of the kitchen cabinets and create some sort of structure in the kitchen with the pots and the pans—not the glasses, but anything plastic or metal or wood—and um, let them create forts. Let them take all of the sheets and blankets they can find in the house. You're going to have to just let go of the house being messy and create some sort of magical place in your house. You know, bake cookies in the shapes of letters. This is what my friend Christine, whose sons dumped all the water in her mattresses, we used to call it the killing time years because there was so much time that we had to fill. So think of things that take a long time. That's why taking everything out of the kitchen cabinets and building some great structure, you want to have activities that can not only tire them out, but that expand over periods of time and that they can come back to again and again. Those are the kinds of things that used to save me during those killing time years, as we used to call it. We're talking about silliness and play and humor, and then we're just reminded that right now the world is overwhelming in so many ways. The world is too much with us, as that poet said. So being able to find those moments of joy for your kids, because they don't understand what's going on. They just need you to be present when you're worrying, it is very hard to be present for your children. And so you owe it to yourselves and to them to say, I don't have to worry about this right now. Worrying doesn't solve problems. Ruminating doesn't get you somewhere. So being able to give yourself permission to say that we don't have to worry about this right now. There's nothing we can do. So I'm going to let it go and I'm going to turn and I'm going to connect with my kids and I'm going to lose myself in this wonderful connection and playfulness.
1: So Lynn, I can't believe it's almost 2021. Are you excited for our first
0: Fluster Clucks course? I am because I think if there was ever a time when we needed an anxiety audit, this would be the time. What we really need to do is we really need to reset because 2020, it took the stuffing out of us. It really brought to the surface a lot of patterns of anxiety and worry that we need to just look at and we need to reboot. Can you say universally, there was just
1: this heightened experience of anxiety that manifested in a variety of ways this
0: year I think just the general level of worry in parents, and not only worry about things that were actually happening, but even worrying about what was going to happen. It's sort of funny, even kids that were doing really well and managing okay, parents were still so worried about what was going to happen. And I think that constant level of stress and that constant level of not so great emotional rumination and worrying and trying to stay ahead of everything. I think it's been exhausting for people. Who do you think that the anxiety
1: audit is best for? Well,
0: I think really all parents. I don't know that any of us got through 2020 without developing or even exacerbating some really common patterns that set us up for worry and anxiety. Like
1: ruminating and the language that we use and...
0: Yeah, all of that. Ruminating, catastrophizing, global language, that feeling of overwhelmed that so many of us experienced. So as you go through all of these
1: things, you also share with us how we pivot from the patterns we recognize in ourselves.
0: Yeah, and sometimes it's just even hard to recognize the patterns. So the goal is for me to go through these patterns and say, maybe you were doing this or this or this or this, here's the way out. Here's what we need to do to pivot away from these patterns just so that you can get your feet back under you. This has gone on for so long now that I'm afraid that some of the patterns that felt really different back in March and April have really become almost normal. They've almost become habitual. We need to get in there. We need to take the exit off the worry highway.
1: And for people who don't want to follow through the course on their own, you're going to be offering this as a virtual workshop on January 23rd.
0: Yeah. So a virtual walkthrough with me, live with me, answering questions pointing out the patterns, really giving you, as I always try and do, concrete stuff to do so that we can shift out of this and start looking ahead. This is not going to last forever. 2020 is going to be done. 2021 is going to start a little rocky, I think but we need to look ahead and we need to make sure we're interrupting those patterns.
1: So the difference between taking the course by yourself and doing the virtual event is that you have the opportunity to go through it and ask you questions along the way.
0: Exactly. And some people just like that live experience. You'll be talking to me in a way that's different than if you're watching something that's recorded.
1: Registration for Lynn's Live Anxiety Workshop on January 23rd, will open on January 1st. Or you can purchase your own self-paced anxiety audit on January 1st as well. Spots will be limited for the live workshop, so be sure you receive the Fluster Clucks newsletter or join the Fluster Clucks Facebook group to be notified when registration opens.
0: Okay, so there's one thing, Robin, that I was just thinking about that I just wanted to follow up from last time because I was talking about um, being afraid of rats versus being afraid of snakes. And so I was thinking about this when I was out riding my bike. I was thinking, why are you so afraid of rats, but you're not afraid of snakes? And how does the fear of rats get perpetuated? And I always talk about neural pathways and I always talk also about the little movies that we play in our head. So this is just something that I was thinking about for what it's worth. I don't have a bad snake movie in my head. If you say rat to me, I can pull up a very quick and vivid little movie of a disgusting rat thing. And I remember what it was. I was watching some show on rats in the city and they had like this see-through toilet and he showed a rat coming up through the toilet. You could see it through the glass and swimming in the water and coming up. And I didn't have this quick and immediate scary snake movie, but I absolutely have this quick and immediate scary rat movie. I'm telling you this because it's just interesting in terms of what we say to our kids and how we talk about scary things and the movies that we create and the movies that we help our kids create, they sort of hang out there. And there, the accessibility of that scary movie is oftentimes what keeps a phobia going.
1: So what do you do with that information? What advice or what strategy comes from thinking about that?
0: Well, so to be honest, I have no desire or, nor do I think it's at all worthwhile for me to get over my rat phobia. So I don't care. What if I decided in college that I was going to work in an animal lab and so I had to be around rats? I guess I'd have to deal with it. I think the advice that that I give is when we're thinking about what kids are afraid of. Um, for one, when we say why, you know, why are you afraid of that? You know, I don't know. But thinking about asking kids, what's the movie that comes up? For me, it's always sort of, what's the narrative? What's the story that you're telling yourself? That's applicable to a lot of anxiety disorders because we go to that worst case scenario. And it is interesting. And certainly there's a connection with that with trauma is that how the brain sort of gets this very vivid image that it creates. And that's where those emotional responses and that fear live in your amygdala. So it pulls it up really quickly. So how do we create some different pathways? If I wanted to get over my fear of I guess I could go about, hang out with somebody who had a pet rat. You might ask yourself, what's that picture that comes up so quickly that just immediately gets your body going? Well, I would say I definitely
1: was affected by Jaws. I didn't see it in the theater, even though I heard you did see it in the theater.
0: And you asked to leave and your dad wouldn't take you guys home, right? Yes, I know. And so dad, if you're listening to this, don't feel guilty about that. We had begged him to go. And I really feel like he probably thought it was not a good idea, but we really pushed to go see Jaws. So I think that once we got there and within, you know, as soon as she got bit in the leg, as soon as she went like under the water, we were like, we're done. And I think he's like, oh, no, I love watching it now. I'm not afraid of it anymore.
1: Would you do that thing where they show a screening of it and you're on a raft in a lake at night, like a swim-in movie. Have you heard about this? No. So you're on like a (laughs) raft, and then
0: they show it on a
1: jumbotron in a lake at night.
0: Well, see, I love the movie now, and I'm not really afraid of getting eaten by a shark. If I had to watch a rat movie while sitting in that stairwell in that hotel in Washington, I would not. You're getting a copy of Ratatouille (laughs) for Christmas from me. (laughs) Well, I hope that all of you listening can find some moments of joy and play and I don't want you to take on silliness as your job as a parent, but boy, fold it in because it's really going to help you and it's going to help your kids. And boy, do we need it right now. This was a good, helpful reminder of a
1: really easy solution that's going to make these days so much better for all of us. It really, it really is so important. Thank you so much, Lynn. Join the Fluster Clucks Facebook group so that you can ask your question on a future episode.
0: Bye, everybody. Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn. Flusterclux is a
1: production of Lux Recess LLC, a family travel magazine and advising service. Let me book and design your family a vacation of connection and rejuvenation.
2: Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above,